Hi, this is Simon Yeo. Thank you so much for subscribing to my podcast, Simon Says. I want you to know that I appreciate every one of you out there for tuning in. Now check out today's podcast. Welcome back to Season 4, Simon Says. Now, since our last episode way back in August 2021, COVID-19 has remained in the forefront of the news cycle, even if we are right now starting to see some very tangible shifts. Many nations are starting to remove vaccine passport requirement as they began to seek some sort of normalcy in terms of economic recovery and production. Now, in Malaysia, we had a new prime minister for the last six to seven months, and it seemed like we hardly hear anything from him. The Sarawak election had taken place, and there are still many points of discussion, especially with regards to the aspiration of many Sarawakians for autonomy, regional powers, and even independence. And most of the Sarawakians, they will fall into some level of such aspiration. And next month, we're going to have our third state elections in Malaysia in the last 12 months, the Johor election, which, by the way, will be the first election where Undi 18 voters become eligible. Now, remember, Undi 18 was the very first topic that kicked off this podcast more than two years ago. And what would the result be? Nobody knows for sure, but we are certainly entering into a new dawn of political realignment in this nation. Now, very good day once again to all of you listeners. It is good to be finally back after almost six months of break. And I know you're all asking why six months. But at that point, we just felt like we want to observe and see the development of things. But we are all set for another season of interesting conversation about all things political that is happening in our nations and beyond. Now, I want to talk about all the things that I've outlined above in the introduction. But today, we have a very special guest, our very own producer and lead researcher of this show, Lyra Lind. So, Lyra, welcome to this live recording. Thank you for the warm welcome. Now, Lyra, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you come about being involved with this podcast? Initially, I was being onboarded for a research that's linked to Putrajaya when I was working in Putrajaya. And over the times of researching, and I just find that I start to just develop that keen interest in the political stuff about the nation, where previously I was indifferent about all those things. So I think that has got me quite far here. So I pretty much do enjoy all this research. Now, it's very interesting you mentioned about research because, you know, the amount of research and the amount of topics that we are considering doing actually is just the sheer amount. And I think it is fair to say that perhaps we only record and discuss less than 10% of all the research that we have done. That's Would right. that be a fair number? Yeah, that's right. So now what are some of the trending topics that you have noticed in the last six months or so? Now, one of the things that I find interesting would be Spotify deleting a total of 113 episodes from Joe Rogan's experience. So I think that is interesting. And also we begin to see that there's a lot of abolishing of vaccine mandates across various nations, various mm-hmm. Western nations. And also the last tennis tournament. So <laughs> yeah, we also see like Djokovic like just standing up to the tyranny of Australian government. So I think the, those are the few very interesting things that have developed over the past six months. Now talk about Novak Djokovic because I remember we were having that conversation and even, you know, thinking about whether we want to discuss the whole topic because, you know, we were thinking about maybe the podcast will start, but it has been delayed. But after the tournament, of course, he came out and said that he will 
continue to remain not vaccinated and he will rather miss more grand slams. And that, that was rather interesting, I thought. But I think a lot of people don't remember the fact that he actually had contracted COVID. Two times, someone. Yeah, and hence he would have the immunity. So what say the immunity to the vaccine mandate? I think that is something that people will need to mm-hmm. begin to ponder. Now, you mentioned about earlier on about how some of the vaccine's mandate is being removed. Now, of course, Joe Rogan will come back to that a bit later. Interestingly, just a few days ago, remember our health minister just announced the plan to scrap, not not vaccine mandate, but you know the removal of vaccine mandate for those who are taking two shots of Sinovac and for those above the age of 65, regardless of their vaccine. So their vaccine passport will expire at the end of supposedly February, but it has been extended to end of March now. Why do you think it's the case? Yeah, I think with the recent development, like what we see in Canada, I think the political leaders here in the nation are beginning to think if there is any political price to pay at all, because we're going to have our election soon. So I think that is something that is quite a fine line for them to consider. So you mean the Johor election is a factor for our political elite, if I can use the word? I do believe so. I think they probably have studied. And that brings me to what Jordan Peterson has mentioned earlier on concerning how people are just being conditioned to Mm -hmm. the encroachment. So the quote that he mentioned, actually, he said, if I encroach on you and I'm sophisticated about it, I'm going to encroach two millimeters and I'm going to encroach right to the point where you begin to protest, then Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop then I'm going to wait. So I think it's that sort of weighing that balance mm-hmm. between how much is the government going to encroach into our privacy and into our freedom. So I think that is because of that, the government are beginning to consider all this pullback on vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit like a war of attrition. You know, It's like who can stand the longest, you know, and it's like if people will give up their freedom, if people will not resist, then it's like give an inch, take a mile kind of situation. Now, by the way, you know, just to just as a point of discussion, the Canadian truck protest, 21 days, it caused so many provinces. Now, province is the equivalent of states in Malaysia. So many province leadership, the political leadership, they just sort of abolished the vaccine mandate. And of course, they claim it has nothing to do with the truck protest, but it has everything to do with political price that they are sensing they might be paying if they continue. Now, by the way, do you know the truckers? Now, of course, they are very peaceful and they're just having their own carnival, but the population around the place of protest, they felt like their lives are being kind of inhibited, perhaps, because it is causing traffic and things like that. But it is still, by all means, peaceful protest and there has been no violence. And this sort of protest is permitted under their laws and regulation. Would you reckon that they felt that their privacy is being encroached? I mean, the surrounding neighborhood. Is it because of the emergency act that was being invoked mm. by the Canadian Prime Minister and subsequently being revoked again just some... 10 days later? Is it true? Yeah, it's very interesting you mentioned this because I was just looking at some of the news comparison. And here's the discussion about misinformation that I want to get into in this episode. Because on one hand, if you look at the mainstream media, they will show some 
one or two person supposedly a resident of those neighborhood who come out and gave a very emotional presentation like our livelihood is being destroyed it's being disturbed our rights for peace is being kind of interfered but on the other hand when you look at the other reporting by all the independent news media on social media no such things have been done so we are clearly seeing some sort of bias report now i'm not making a determination but that's the discussion i want to get into today the whole concept of misinformation and that is also the reason and justification used against joe rogan you know hmm. the podcaster you know joe rogan by the way he has more than 100 million listeners you know his platform is bigger than most mainstream media platform he's bigger than cnn he's bigger than nbc and people don't realize the kind of force that he is but the political elite obviously they understood and that's why they are very fearful so we want to talk about misinformation here today but before that let me just as a way of setting the scenes in malaysia and let's just talk about pandemic for a while and i know i don't want to talk too much about pandemic we have so many episodes on pandemic but we are still in that struggle and what's the number of cases today some 30 over thousand and i just been to different places and you were saying earlier on that some people are even saying that we need to have lockdown back again yes i've heard and it is just so crazy now you see 30000 it is because people are so conditioned to the fact that high numbers of infection equal the pandemic is very bad but of course we all know that you know we are now in the omicron stage and hospitalization is normal i see you admission is normal you know death rate is normal and i mean people are still going out but why do you think that people equate infection number with severity of the pandemic yeah i think that has to do a lot with fear because mm -hmm. over the last two years we have just been conditioned to think number number numbers but the thing is people don't begin to take a step back and just think how many peoples are in category one and category mm -hmm. two which basically they just recover uneventfully but it's because of all these numbers and coupled with their own fear of death fear of infection fear of a lot of other things livelihood they just equate somehow when mm -hmm. they see numbers they just yep. equate it to death so I think it's really because of that they are not so willing to let go despite the fact that our health minister say, oh no, we're not going to publish the numbers there mm. anymore. So I think people are still looking. No, no, to be fair to our health authority, I think some of them did come out and say, look, the numbers does not mean that it is as serious as the last wave. You know, some of them try to come out and say this sort of statement. But of course, on the other hand, you know, we say in other episodes before that there has been such a push for the vaccine. And the only way you can encourage people to take vaccine is if you paint a very bleak sort of picture and then all of a sudden you say that, look, here's the antidote to the poison. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the constant shifting of goalposts, you know, and it just gives me a picture, you know, can you imagine you're playing a match, a football match or whatever, and people are just moving the goalposts. It is unthinkable, but that seems to be what's happening. Remember in the early days, first of all, they talk about herd immunity. And it's like the entire population become resistant to COVID. 
But I think after a couple of months, people realized that this is just wishful thinking. And to be fair, I think our health minister, I mean, Kyrie was not health minister then, but he quickly came out and said he doesn't believe it could be achieved. Then the vaccine came out, end of 2020. And then they start to say, if you take the vaccine, it will protect you from COVID itself, from the infection. If you take vaccine, you won't get the infection. And even though at that time, the data was so limited and vaccine was still rolling. Can you imagine you introduce a product before everyone has even taken it and you say it's going to work 100%. Yeah, and not forgetting that initially CDC did mention that once you get the vaccine, you're not going to get infection at all. And Mm. they quickly just change it, change the whole narrative when even with lots of research that show that it's not possible and herd immunity is not possible, they just shifted all these things. But people are not realizing that they are constantly shifting the goalposts, like Mm. what you say. Now, shifting your goalposts, I think is not a problem if the authority or the stakeholders, they realize that we are dealing with a dynamic event, that things can change based on data. But the way they came out with herd immunity and then the effectiveness of the vaccine from the get-go, it's just that they don't want to have other form of discussion and debate. Then, of course, from protections, from COVID itself, they move on to, to another higher level of la-la land lies, but they are basically saying that if you take the vaccine, it will stop transmission of the disease. Now, why is this very important? Because this is the very basis for vaccine mandate all around the world. And I will argue that it has been weaponized in many places, including Malaysia. So today, you know, I was just having a discussion with a friend and, you know, I consider him a very well-educated, very smart, very rational person. And he would say, oh, no, the authority, they never claimed that it was stopped transmission. I say, you have short memory. You know, if you go back to the news cycle, even one year, one and a half years ago, that was what they claimed. That if you take the vaccine, you are okay to go out. You won't spread to other people. And now, finally, the goal posts have shifted to, well, you won't get herd immunity, impossible. Well, you will still get COVID. Well, you can still spread COVID-19. But now, the only thing is this, that if you get COVID, it will lessen any potential side effect. And that is also a big what if. Now, here's the thing I want to ask. Why do you think people so readily accept this sort of goalpost shifting? Probably it has to do with the education system in our nation as well. And and also the fact that we have just been programmed to think whichever that the government is saying is true. But people forgot to use their brains, unfortunately, that they don't begin to analyze the data, they don't begin to process the data, and they don't begin to see what's missing from that is being reported in the media. So I think that is something that has Mm -hmm. somehow just conditioned people to think. It's like, if you're not going to believe the government for a lot of other things, why, why now? So I think that is something that they forgot during this pandemic because of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember we did an episode on big government. I think, I can't remember, it's season three or season two. And I think in that episode, we sort of agree that Malaysia is a big government nation because people sort of rely on government for everything. So remember when when a pandemic hit and people are so angry that not enough aid 
was provided to the people. People are not happy that the ban moratorium is coming to an end. And then we had a big flood just a few weeks ago and people are constantly complaining. Now, of course, some of these complaints are justifiable, slow response, but you just get that kind of mindset that people still feel like government is responsible for all the aspects of their livelihood. And perhaps that contributed to the thinking that I should be able to trust my government for all these kind of directions and projections of news. Yeah, but it's so funny because it's so contradictory with some <laughs> of the statements that the people are making, like my body, my choice. Mm-hmm. So if you're so abdomen about my body, my choice, so isn't your body your choice applicable here in that health decision that you should be making? And I think it's really that sort of informed decision, that narrative that has not been painted properly by yep. the government mm-hmm. that caused people to just, okay, take my freedom away take my health away, so take my risk yeah. away, when in fact, they are the ones absorbing all those risks. Yeah, talking about this, and you know, all we are saying is that there is some kind of discussions that we should be engaging. But of course, the last two years, a lot of the health directive, a lot of information, they were presented as absolute gospel, facts that you cannot argue against. And then if you do, then you're spreading misinformation, which is what we want to talk about. Now, by the way, I think in a few weeks' time, we're going to get a guest who is a doctor who will be discuss with us medical freedom. Because like what you were saying, now, especially, you know, if we look at the Western societies, those that are advocating abortion, for example, you know, the main argument is the women have choice over what they do to their body, you know. And even in terms of treatment, you know, cancer patients, you know, there's always choice. But how come when it comes to pandemic, there's no choice? And of course, one of the argument is the greater good argument. Now, we're not getting there, but that's one of the things that we want to talk with some of our legal expert guests in days to come. But let's talk a little bit about misinformation. And we already alluded to the Joe Rogan's episode. And... Now, you know, we talk about misinformation, we talk about propaganda, you know, you look at World War II, you know, they even have a minister of propaganda. So this misinformation is actually as old as warfare itself. So it's not surprising that we are seeing governments engaging in this kind of activity. But I think what's new in this era is really the willful participation of these so-called private entities and the most obvious in terms of controlling quote-unquote misinformation are the big tech. You know, we talk about Twitter, we talk about Facebook, we talk about, you know, even Spotify was forced to put some sort of advisory notes on Joe Rogan's, you know, 100 million strong podcast. So this advisory note supposedly warned people that, you know, when we talk about COVID-19, you should go to a curated site. Mind you, those sites are compiled by them. So can you see, it's a full of biases and they want to be the ultimate arbiter of truth. They want to be the absolute adjudicator of truth. So anything outside their interpretation, and this is where it gets very scary because it is based on their interpretation. It is not based on science. Now, just a very quick recap. You know, what triggers such and reaction against Joe Rogan was that he was inviting two very prominent scientists. I don't need to mention their names. You can Google and you'll find them and their credentials are top-notch. 
and they just happen to have a different point of view with regards to COVID-19 and, you know, from the mainstream crowd. So they were like, oh no, you know, you're, you're spreading misinformation. Now, I don't want to talk too much about Joe today, but one of the things that he said in his own words, and he said, many of the things we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as facts. So, Lyra, you mentioned about CDC kept changing their guideline, even MOH kept changing their guideline, but it seems like a little bit slow. Now, let me just talk a little bit about the current close contact guideline because Lyra, I believe you had some personal encounter even at your workplace. Maybe you'd like to share some of what you have seen and how, you know, how it's impacting the society. Yeah, so recently, some of my colleagues that have been contracted positive or they have been close contacts themselves. But it, it's just like imagine you're going to the office one day and suddenly one colleague say, oh, sorry, I can't come to the office. Mm-hmm. Then five days gone. And there's such a huge amount of confusion because there was no dissemination of information, yep. like whether or not this colleague is actually a COVID positive, that mm. colleague is actually close contact. Hence, you actually don't know how to arrange your work because mm. some colleagues are supposed to be quarantined for X amount of days, another colleague for another Y amount of days. And you just have like such a huge hoo-ha mm-hmm. to the point that because like recently there, there's an update to that close contact yep, yep. SOP. First of March, yeah. Yeah, then suddenly I think my company, the HR, they just began to realize that, oh, actually this is not helpful to the company. So <laughs> it, it was quite interesting to say the least. I mean, you look at the updated close contact policy I think the government thinks they are trying to help, but it is still extremely unhelpful because it's not logical at all. By the way, have you seen anyone who claimed to be close contact having their MySejatra become red? No, I have not. Mm. So that is something that I have noticed as well because in my workplace, prior to that initial close contact guideline, there was a few outbreak. Okay, when I say outbreak, it's like we had two or three cases in two different locations. So I was asking the HR, you know, how are you handling this? The HR manager showed me the guideline. Then I said, how many days you asked them to quarantine? He said, three days. I said, where did you get the three days? Because there's no three days, remember? So people are just basically doing it. So my company began to ask me because I'm their legal advisor and say, how do we determine close contact? And I'll say, show me the phone. Do you have read a notification from the government? If you have not, you are not close contact. That's the legal definition. But people will argue, oh, I, I was in a room with someone who was tested positive. So you, you get this kind of emotional response. But legally, would you agree with me that if your app is not read, you are not close contact? Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. I mean, if you're at the position of employers, you would agree because you can't have all your employees suddenly half the departments are gone. Yeah, yeah. So... It's like, remember we talked about already earlier on that WHO, even CDC already said that just because you have vaccine, just because you have booster number one, some have booster number two, four shots, it doesn't help you in any way in terms of transmission. Then why is it that if you have booster, you have no symptoms, then you don't need to quarantine everyone else five days or more? It, It just doesn't seem correct. It doesn't seem scientific. So it goes back to the whole misinformation concept that we're talking about, that somehow the authority, now I don't want to speculate, I would say either they deliberately do not want to acknowledge the shifting of new information 
oh, they are just not smart enough to update. I, I mean, these are the only two conclusions. But remember, we have been saying for a long time already, even in the past seasons, all the episodes, the vaccine mandate is really a government control mechanism. And that's now affecting those having double shot. That is now affecting those people not having booster. Because remember a while ago, if not a while ago, even all this while, until very recently, the health ministry constantly kind of gave out the message that the pandemic is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, remember? Yeah. But now they can't do that already because, I mean, one data showed that Clan Valley vaccination, if we define double jab as 100%, they say Clan Valley is already 135%, rough estimate. And which reminds me of a conversation that I have with my office manager. She had COVID before and I was telling her, if you have COVID, why do you go for vaccine? But anyway, she went for double jab and then she went for booster. And the other day she was telling me, all these vaccines are a bunch of lies because now these are her words because she was saying that all around her, people who have taken vaccine faithfully, people who have taken booster faithfully, all of a sudden they get COVID. And they felt disappointed because the expectations laid out to them was you won't get COVID, you won't spread COVID. And now they found out it's not true. And I think that is the level of disappointment that is happening right now because of misinformation. So what do you think of this shift in our society right now? I think people don't see that there is that, like you say, like now there are so many people, so many population that has been vaccinated. And that brings me to this misinformation that mm -hmm. is concerning the rate of transmission between that is vaccinated and that is unvaccinated. Because I think there's a lot of studies that show that it is the same. So you can't mm. claim that one is less transmissible than the other. So, so I think that is that kind of narrative that has been painted, that's been bombarded in our face day in, day out, that mm. caused people to just think, well, okay, so like we say, like maybe just giving people the wrong sort of hope. Yeah, and we were just talking earlier on with our editor here also, just very general observations that we have seen people who taken vaccines and booster and very quickly that same category of people are somehow infected yes. and of course in the early days they say oh it's because you go to the center so many people but that seems to be the trend everywhere now of course we don't have hard evidence the authority will deny it very strongly but that is why i feel like people are losing faith in terms of information from the institution now would you agree that you know, based on our discussion on misinformation so far, that it has been used as a front to censorship? Yeah, I would agree. It's like scientific censorship. Because you remember, from the earliest day of the pandemic, nobody, nobody ever say that vaccine doesn't work. Okay, nobody say that. But what a lot of scientists, doctors, medical ethics professions, lawyers they were voicing concerns concerning different things like the efficacy of the vaccine, how reliable is the data. And because remember, all the data is given by the vaccine company. So it's like someone is selling you an item and they say, I guarantee you it's perfect. Now, of course, you have things like all the FDA, you have all the similar organization. But remember early days, even until now, many are still operating from emergency 
authorizations. And one of the things I constantly talk to people when they say, oh, it is so safe, you are sounding like a conspiracy theorist. And I say, if it is so safe, why do we need to sign such a thick waiver letter? Why do we need to say that we give up all our rights to sue the vaccine manufacturer? I mean, if your product is so good, you shouldn't need to say that. So early days, a lot of this kind of discussions and then even vaccine mandate, you know, things like that. So when people voice any of these concerns, then misinformation is used to kind of silence them, to kind of cause them. And which reminds me, a while back, maybe a few months ago, a group of concerned doctors, I think 100 plus of them, they wrote an open letter to Prime Minister Ismail Sabri. He just became Prime Minister, I think a couple of months. And I remember when I heard that news, I was trying to look even for that letter, even for the reporting of the event. And I'm surprised that I couldn't find them in all the newspaper, even the so-called alternative newspaper that is supposed to be not establishment. I know I don't want to name names, but it seems like, like what you're saying, the education system, people just felt like it is better to say yes and don't challenge the authority. So do you agree that we have come to the stage where people are sort of pushed into a mindset where I should just bother with my own business. I shouldn't be so noisy. I shouldn't be so opinionated and just let things run out. Yeah, I would think people generally think individually their voice doesn't matter Mm -hmm. at all in the face of government because we have big government. So it's like they have been mandated to do whatever that they want. So I felt like people were probably just thinking that they're pretty much helpless in in the face of this big government. But I just want to encourage the listeners out there that look at what happened with those truckers. Mm-hmm. They did so successfully to push back the emergency mandate, to push back against all this vaccine mandate with just yep. 21 days. So I think if we are able to just catch on to that fire, we'll be able to see there is a difference that all of us can make. So I think that is something that mm. we, we just have to be resistant. Yeah, and very interestingly, I mean, of course, one of the big events that is happening even at the point of recording, you know, is the invasions of Ukraine by Russia. I mean, of course, there are many analyses, many discussions. We may get into that in days to come. But one of the things very interesting is, you know, I just watched a video of Ukraine's president. He was on the street and he was with his entire cabinet and he said, everyone is here. We are going to resist and we will make sure that we still have freedoms and independence and I just felt like that represents the kind of spirit that is perhaps lacking in our nation in terms of dealing with all the things that has been happening during the pandemic you know especially with vaccine passport I really felt very disappointed with civil structure civil authority you know all those people who are for the rights of the people for the minority for the native people but they are like so silent in terms of the vaccine passport requirements or they are so silent on the super rapid push for vaccination among children you know just caused me to think that perhaps these two years of hardship and the kind of push and propaganda from news media caused people to be sort of pressed down oppressed can we use the word oppressed yeah i would say oppressed they are just being silent all the voices like what you say like some of the news that you were trying to search we can't really find it Mm. in any of the mainstream media so i think there is that oppression that suppression of voices that just basically cause people to think my voice does not matter at all when in fact it 
does matter a huge lot if we would just put all our hands together to go against the narrative. So what do you think we can do about misinformation? Now, we, we have talked about misinformation mainly in context of COVID, but of course in Malaysia, there are many other examples also. But what do you think? What do you think the people can do to combat misinformation? I think first off, we are living in that era of technologies. I think what we can do is we just begin to put the right information out there to just verify all the facts before you forward any messages <laughs> at all. You have to verify all the facts because otherwise then you are just being a contributor to that misinformation yourself. So I think that is the small parts that we could mm. do. But on the higher level, some of those who are called in position of authority, you could begin to just have that pushback if you're the employer of the companies. You could go against like as in, I'm not saying that you are being defiant to the government, mm. but you could begin to think what is reasonable because there is an economic price to pay, just yeah. like the government has that political price to pay. So I think bearing all this thing in mind, there is a balance that all of us can reach, mm. but not compromising the stand, not compromising the freedom that we have. Yeah, interestingly, remember misinformation, a few years ago, it is more commonly described as fake news, right? So nowadays you don't hear fake news anymore, but during the time of Brexit and of course, Donald Trump's election campaign around 2015 and 2016, Donald Trump himself liked to use the word fake news, but we don't hear fake news now, we hear misinformation. And so Lyra, one of the things of course you were saying is to share out if you have a platform and even social media. And I know it takes a lot of courage because a lot of people will be like, oh, it seems I'm going against the tide, I'm going against the narrative of the government. Now, of course, I do see that with the younger generation, some of them are more outspoken, some of them are more having more courage. Then, of course, this is what our show is all about. And, you know, we always say that what is the purpose? The purpose here is we want to cause people to have an independent mindset, do your own research. And it does take a bit of effort, don't you think? It does, it mm. does. It does take a tremendous amount of time, but it's going to pay off that sort of effort. So don't think that all this reading has nothing to do with you because it has a mm. lot to do with you. you. You don't want to come to a point where your freedom is being taken and then only then you begin to realize, oh, okay, how am I going to push back now? Like what Jordan Peterson said, you don't mm. want to come to that point where all this process is just ongoing and then before you realize it, you are actually three miles back from where you started. So I think there is that boldness that needs to come out from mm. people and if you have a platform use your platform wisely so there are a lot of ways to navigate through all this yep. censorship there is a lot of way to navigate through i believe that our audience are wise enough to do that yeah yeah and you know having that courage having the ability to come to that determination i guess it's not for the lazy people no, it's not. And it's like if you chose to be an ostrich and just say, I, I could, you know, I have come across people that when I try to just present two or three points, you know, initially I felt like they couldn't take it, but then I realized it's something more fundamental. They are too lazy to process it. They are too lazy to even put in the effort. So unfortunately, we do have this category of people, but we had to show that it will impact their lives, it will impact their generations. So I guess in this age of information, people just need to put in the effort. People just need to kind of be smart. And of course, since 2016, we have seen so many new independent platforms, you know. So I was just talking to my sisters. They are both in Australia, both are doctors. 
So I was asking them, how do people decide whether they should vaccinate? You know, we are zooming in on the discussion on children vaccination. And she said, well, they all have their own opinion. They all listen to their podcast. They all find the information that they believe and they make their own determination. I'm like, wow, that's not a bad thing because we live in such a polarized world. And at the end of the day, I do agree that it is a personal decision and people with kids, they have to make decisions with regards to their children's welfare. And there are consequences for decisions taken or not taken. Yep, that reminds me of Chamberlain initially mm-hmm. when there was that opportunity. So he actually went to meet Hitler three times. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, okay, eventually I got this peace treaty, which unfortunately the history shows that it was a useful piece of paper. I mean, useless piece of paper, sorry. So that is where we need to really just begin to think, do we want to be so indifferent? Do Mm. we want to be so lazy about the things that are encroaching into our own sphere? So if we are, then there is a huge consequences to pay, like what happened in World War II. And we can't just hope that the problem will go away. I was listening to one French reporter and on the day of the invasion of Ukraine, and he was reporting and he said, in Europe, it is just another day because the actual sentiment, you know, you heard a lot of outrage, you know, from some parts of Asia, but especially from America, you know, some of those more hawkish politicians. But in Europe, it was like just kind of, I know they talk about sanctions and things like that, but it was like just another day in the land. And this reporter say that in his view, that Europe sort of accepted the fact that they can't, they can't oppose Russia in terms of, you know, because those of you who are not aware that much Europe has sort of slowly taken away their nuclear power and they are relying a lot on the gas and petroleum of Russia. So that's the thing. Now, why am I saying all these things? It's because when we are trying to process what is right and what is wrong, I've said it many, many times already that, especially for us here on this platform, our foundation is always every person, every citizen should have a right to have freedom of expression, freedom of religion, and also freedom to pursue happiness. I think we say that way back in season one. So in relation to the whole Ukraine incident, one of the analyses that came out is a somewhat not surprising, and it's a very anti-American kind of voice. In fact, that has been very constant in the last 20, 30 years. And some people seemed to be happy that Russia and perhaps with China will create a new global force to challenge the balance of Americans' global dominance. Now, this is something that people, it's not something new because, you know, there are many people who are infatuated with the China system, you know. The saying is this, that it is better to be ruled by competent people. But I'm thinking, you know, who are the people? You know, the people can change, the committee can change. But in exchange to this stability, you need to give up some rights and liberties. And here's how I want to end today's message. Now, I'm not an apologist of the American way, far from that. But, you know, when we look at the products of their cultural export, it is true that it has created a very hedonistic and materialistic world. You know, people are very, they are like just narcissists all around. There is a byproduct of this. But at the same time, I also believe that their culture allow a greater freedom of speech 
expressions, religions that the world had never experienced before World War II. So that's why in that respect, I think here at this show, we make no apologies for defense of freedom. Because at the end of the day, we can't tell people what to do. We can only say that you should have the freedom to pursue your own thinking, your own happiness, and humans are created to express themselves in such a way that will allow them to reach their highest potential. I know some people will be like, oh, you are being too idealistic. Humans cannot be left to their own devices. They will just destroy the world. Maybe that's one point of view, but I think, you know, Lyra, with so many of our research, we always chose to believe that there is a greater potential out there. And in that respect, I think I fully agree with the framers of the American Constitution when they declare the Constitution that there is such a right, inalienable, and it comes from God. So coming back to the topic of misinformation, and you know, another thing that we constantly talk about here is matrix, you know. Matrix, you know, I, I know you have seen the last Matrix 4, and even 1, 2, 3, but in 4, I felt like the aspect of choice is made even more clear, don't you think? Yes, I absolutely love episode 4. And especially with regards to Trinity, and they were like just emphasizing on the point that if Trinity doesn't want to leave Matrix, nobody could force her because it has been 60 years since. I know a little bit of spoiler, but most of you here, I believe, will have watched that. So it's very interesting that at the end of the day, it's a choice, right? Yes, it is. Definitely, most definitely choice. So do you agree that, you know, if people chose, we know the analogy of red pill and blue pill, if people chose to take the blue pill, they had to suffer the consequences? Agree. Agree. Likewise, I mean, even for red pill, there is a price to pay mm. if you want to fight for freedom. Yeah, yeah. So, I think that's all we have for today, but we are all looking forward to the next few episodes. We are want to get different people. And so this season, we want to be a bit more conversation, not so much talk to the mic, talk to the hand kind of format, but get people to kind of discuss how they are feeling, what they are seeing. And, you know, I know some people are feeling very negative about Malaysia right now and they just felt like we couldn't get anywhere worse. But I believe that there is still a place for us to come up from this and we are fighting for the next generation. So every generation has to have their own battle to fulfill their own destiny. So Lara, is there anything else you want to say before we end today's show? No, I think it's, it has been very, very interesting. So I hope that all the audience have really get that perspective right, that the best is yet ahead. All right, so we'll end here for now. And I believe in days to come, we'll get Lyra back here to give her unique perspective on things that matters to this show. All right, that's it for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.